Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Praise God. This, this week, we are in portion Lech Lecha, and we are only on the third portion as in this new cycle, but we're already to the life of Abraham. So we've already passed through almost two th- the first 2,000 years of creation, and now we're entering into this new era that, that God is establishing to bring forth His plan. And earlier this week, uh, I felt like the Lord was beginning to lay out what this message was, and the message is that God has a plan. And, and I was so thankful that, for that because I can't say that I always do, right? And just throughout the week as I read the scriptures and just saw different things, it was encouraging to, to think back to God has a plan, right? And in Proverbs 16, 9, the scripture says, um, in, his, in his heart, man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And so within that, I was thinking on, you know, what exactly does that mean? Does that mean that man plans, but it doesn't really matter, his steps are going to be whatever God says? Or is it that man plans and then God helps him to find his way? I think that's really it. I mean, we can go through various iterations Okay, and, and discussions on it, but I think it's the aspect of God expects us to make a plan, and then as we walk out the plan, He expects us to listen to Him and follow His direction so that we actually end up where His plan is. And His plan and our hand, plan might be different, but the key is that we need to, to listen and to hear from Him what the steps are. So when we, when we begin reading in this portion, in this portion, there is a lot that happens. We go from, from the beginning of Abraham's life all the way through the covenant of circumcision, 99 years of his life in one portion, and we could really camp out here for weeks talking about various aspects. And, and I find that every year, just about, I almost talk about the same thing, and it's about faith. And I just can't get away from that topic. So we're going we're gonna to probably talk a bit about faith and God's plan. So let's look in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went, actually Abram at this point, went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. 
So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. So here when we open up in this passage, the Lord said to Abram, go to the land that I will show you. To the land that I will show you. So why, why that phrase? Why not go to Canaan? Is God unsure of where he's going to send Abram? And the reality is that God's not figuring it out as he goes. He has a plan. The figuring out as we go is for us to do along the way, figuring out what God's plan is. But it's as we go. And so Abram had to go trusting God in order for him to to find out what God had in store. But ultimately, it was to listen to the voice of the Lord and to follow where he's leading. The sages say, The Holy One, blessed be he, withholds information at first and keeps the eyes of the righteous directed toward him, and only then does he reveal to them the particulars of the matter. Right? So where's the focus? The focus is on God, not the destination. And so when we look even in Hebrews 12, Verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Yeshua, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now, as we talk today about the life of Abram, he encountered various trials along his way. And how many of you know trials aren't easy? That's why they're called trials. (laughs) He had many trials along the way. Even as here we read in Hebrews of Yeshua, who endured the cross, despising the shame and the hostility against himself, but he was doing it for a joy that was set before him. He knew there was a purpose behind the path he was walking, the trials that he was enduring, and it was the path that God had planned for him and had given him to do. And he said, yes, Lord, I desire to do your will. And so he humbled himself even to the point of death so that he might accomplish God's will and purpose in his life. And and you know that Yeshua spent each morning in prayer. He was continually asking the Lord, Lord, what are we doing today? Where are we going today? How do you want me to walk? Guide me by your spirit. He knew that he needed a vision. He knew he needed a word from the Lord on what his life was going to look like day by day. And you know, Abraham, he needed the same. We need the same. We need prophetic vision for what the Lord is doing in our lives and in our midst. In Proverbs 29, 18, 
The scripture says where there is no prophetic vision, or the Hebrew word here is chazon, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the Torah. So within this, in looking at this verse and thinking of what is this vision that the people need in order to walk rightly, it's this word chazon. And chazon can mean vision, dream, revelation, an oracle, which is a word from the Lord. And um, chazon, we spoke about it right at the beginning of the book of Deuteronomy because there's a Shabbat called Shabbat chazon. And it is the, it is the Shabbat that precedes the ninth of Av. Tishabah, and it always precedes the beginning of the uh, reading of Deuteronomy. And within, and the, and the reason it gets its name is from the Heftarah for that week, okay, which is from Jeremiah 1. And it speaks of, actually, I may have, it may be Jeremiah or Isaiah. It's one of the two, but it is the first chapter. Let's go with that one. But it says the vision that was given. And the sages look to this aspect of really it being a vision of looking forward to what lies ahead, to the coming of the renewed temple and the messianic era. And maintaining that vision, having that vision helps us to walk the path that we're given in faithfulness unto God, looking forward to the joy that's set before us, just as Yeshua is looking forward to the joy that was set before him. And so when I was thinking on these aspects of how important it is for us to have this vision or revelation from God, I thought, well, are we praying for that? Are you praying for God's vision and revelation to you in whatever it is that you're in, whether it's his calling for your life, your job, your family, anything of that nature? And the truth is we need to be praying for God's vision and his revelation in our lives. And I was thinking, particularly praying for prophecy, wisdom, discernment. Paul encourages us to do this in 1 Corinthians 14. And, and why? Is it so that we can have the gifts and have a great name for ourselves and be respected because of our gifts? Not at all. It's for kingdom purposes. The gifts God gives are for kingdom purposes, and so it makes it actually good that we should pray for those things, that we can walk in them. In 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 through 6, Paul writes, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the assembly. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the assembly may be built up. Now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? And then he continues on in verse 12. So with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the assembly. And then again in verse 19, 
Nevertheless, in assembly, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So Paul, again, he's connecting the idea of the gifts being tied to the building up of the assembly and the encouraging of one another. And that these are good when used properly. And so, as we're walking the path and seeking God to direct our steps, it's crucial that we pray and ask Him for His vision, for wisdom, discernment, and even for prophecy, right? Words of knowledge, because the prophecy and words of knowledge, these are ones that build each other up and strengthen us. A, a word, uh, I know I'm, the, a psalm just came to mind, but it's a... Um, a word rightly spoken is like apples of gold and baskets of silver. I can't remember. I'm, I probably butchered it, but it's something along those lines. But a word rightly timed can make a big difference. A word rightly timed that the Lord gives to you places in your spirit for another. Have the boldness to speak it. Because you have no idea what God is speaking to them, but He does. And you may just be the vessel through which the needed word comes or the needed direction comes. So we need this revelation. We need this vision. And that's what, that's what Abram gets in Genesis 15. Genesis 15, 1 through 6. The scripture says, After these things, the, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, in a chazon. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward is, will be, shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And suddenly the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So Abram was given a vision by the Lord of what, was, what his future was to be. that he will be given an offspring from his own flesh. And his, his offspring will be as the numbers of the stars of heaven. Now, where this comes in the life of Abram makes it even more impactful. Okay? Um, we don't get a lot of the story of Abram's life from the Torah. We know that he was born to Terah, and that he had some brothers, and he married Sarai, and that his family moved from Urkazdim up to Haran and settled there. And then we know that God called him out of Haran to a land that he would show him, which was the land of Canaan. But where we picked up in our portion was when Abraham, when Abram was 75 years old. So a lot of what we know of Abram's early life comes from tradition, 
comes from the stories that were passed down over the ages. And there are variations depending on the source that we take a look at. But from one source and looking at, the, at his life story, I wanted to give a little bit of an overview to lead into where we are at this point in time. And it's interesting, you know, sometimes we look at the stories from tradition and we say, well, those are just stories. But they're family stories that were passed down from generation to generation. Yes, they weren't recorded until much later. But family stories, especially one of the key patriarch, would be passed down with the desire for children to know their history and where they come from and where these covenants with God originated. And then many of the stories actually have parallels of what we see carried out in the life of Yeshua, which is fascinating, or even in the stories of other men and women of faith throughout time. So Abram was born in the year 1948 from creation, which interestingly is also the year in the common era of when the nation of Israel was established. Fascinating. But he was born in 1948, and at his birth, his birth was accompanied by signs in the heavens that foretold the astrologers of what his future would be and how he would bring the downfall of Nimrod and his kingdom. So Nimrod wanted to kill him, but Terah, Abram's father, tricked Nimrod and gave a different child over in place of Abram. And Abram was hid in a cave along with his mother for a span of 10 years. At age 10, he went to live with Noah and Shem. And it was when he was 50 years old that he returned to Terah. And that's when we get the stories of him destroying his father's idols. And when Nimrod finds out that Abram is still alive, he throws Abram into the fiery furnace along with his older brother Haran. And in the fiery furnace, Abram is not harmed. The cords that bound his hands were burned, but his pants that he was wearing were not. And he walked in the midst of the fire for three days and three nights. Interesting. You know how we're going through these stories, right? And how you can then think of other biblical stories. But of course, he's unharmed and he comes out. And it's two years later, again, Nimrod tries to kill him. He flees to the home of Shem and Noah again for about a month. And his father Terah comes to see him. And Abram says, Father, we need to leave. Let's go to the land of Canaan. And Noah and Shem say what he speaks is true. And so Terah took all of his family and they set out for Haran, or they set out for Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. So according to one tradition, Abram lived in Haran for three years. And at age 55 is when God first called him and said, go to a land I will show you. So he went down into Canaan and was there for 15 years until the incident that we just read in Genesis 15 occurs. When the covenant between the parts takes place. And... <clears throat> And so, so then, from, from there, 
he goes back to Haran and spends five years with his father. And then again, the Lord says, remember my call for you to leave and to go to the land I will show you. And it's at that time again, Abram leaves at age 75 to go to Canaan. And it's at that time that Lot went with him. Okay, so what am I getting at in all this, right? So Genesis 15 clearly comes after Genesis 12. You would think that the covenant between the parts would have happened after Abram's 75th birthday. Because in Genesis 12, it says he's 75. Now he's leaving to go to Canaan. Many things happen. There's the famine. He goes down into Egypt. Sarai, Sarai is abducted. He comes back. He and Lot separate. Lot's taken captive by kings. There's a war. And now Genesis 15 comes and we have the covenant between the parts. And somehow we're saying that this actually occurred five years before Genesis 12. Now some, some would argue that Genesis 15 really did come after all these things. But there's, according to tradition, it was when he was 70. Now, it's not just tradition that suggests that this was when he was 70. Paul also affirms it in Galatians 3, verses 15 through 18. So Paul is speaking about the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant. And he says in verse 15, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but to one, and to your offspring who is Messiah. This is what I mean. The Torah, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the Torah, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So what Paul is speaking of, he's talking about the covenant between the parts with the promise given to Abram of what his future would be and his inheritance. So he says the Mosaic covenant came 430 years later. And I probably should have brought up the timeline but I didn't bring up the timeline. But if we break down the 430 years from the time of the covenant until the time of the giving of the Torah, then what we see is there's 400 years from the birth of Isaac to the giving of the Torah, and that there were 30 years before Isaac's birth make up the complete 430. Now, Isaac was born... Isaac was born when Abraham was 100 years old. And if you back up 30 years from that, you come to Abram being 70 years old at the time of the, of this, of the covenant between the parts. Now, okay, so why is it such a big deal that he was 70 at that point in time? He had married Sarai when he was 50 at the time of the death of Haran. He married her when he was 50. God's call to him at age 55 that he would be a blessing, his offspring would be a blessing, seemed doable at that point in time. Here he's been married for five years. 
Okay, God, you're going to make a way for the offspring to come. Fifteen years go by. Now we're at 20 years of marriage and there's no offspring. And God gives him a vision and says, so I don't butcher it. He says, I am your shield, shield and your reward will be very great. And Abram says, I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer. You've given me no offspring. And the Lord says, this one shall not be your heir, but your very own son shall be your heir. And, even, and he even took him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed God in that moment. There was no physical reason for him to believe that his offspring was going to be as numerous as the stars of heaven. But the Lord said, I'm going to give you a vision beyond what you can imagine. Not just that you're going to have offspring, but they're going to number the stars of the heavens. So when we say Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, that was hefty belief. That was hefty belief, but it came through a vision and a revelation that God was giving him. God was building up his faith even in that moment. And so now he's ready to move into the promises. You know, when we're thinking about these 20 years, 20 just sounds like a number until we actually think about it in the perspective of our lives. And you say, where was I 20 years ago? What if a promise had been given to me 20 years ago and I'm still sitting here without the fulfillment? Hmm. That's a long journey. That's a long road. And in the day where we have instant gratification, we have fast forward, we have pause, we have record. Yeah, you want to watch it? You get to, right? It's not like in the days of old when commercials come on or the president speaking and your favorite show is just gone forever. <laughs> and so it doesn't fit our style, right? But here's Abraham, Abraham persevering. And even 20 years after his marriage, and not having any children, he believes God. He says, no, it's possible. I can persevere through this. And you know, the thing is, God's timeline's not our timeline. And he often uses his timeline and the discomfort that we face in our timeline, not lining up with it, because he knows what we need and he's producing something in us. And what he's producing in us can be for multiple reasons. It can be for the very goal and, and purpose that he set out in us for us to go and achieve, or maybe even for a, a goal and a purpose that he set out for us not to achieve. Have you ever thought about that? Sometimes God sends you out to achieve a goal, not because he wants the goal, but he wants the journey you're going to take along the way. 
because he knows that journey is going to produce something in you that you need for his greater plan. And in Romans 5, 3 through 5, you know, as we go through these times of testing, of trial, of, of difficulty, we know that we're called to rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, <clears throat> and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He brings about endurance and character and hope, which he was building in Abraham throughout his whole life. It's said that Abraham endured ten trials along the way. Now, not, the list of ten trials is not always the same, depending on which source you look at. But when you look through his story, you can find at least ten trials. And the trials come from various sources. Some were put in his way by God, some by the adversary, some according to his own actions and decisions, and some according to the actions and decisions of others. But every trial along the way was a shaping and a molding of his character, proving his perseverance and bringing about hope even when it didn't seem that there was a reason to hope in anything that you could look at in the physical. So God brings tests, trials, and difficulties, and he allows them for our greater good. The sages say that a heavenly test is one that forces a person to choose between God's will and his own nature or understanding of what's right. And it's our call to put our wishes down, to subordinate those in order to bring about God's purposes and plans. And that all these things are for our, for our benefit. And when God gives us a, a test or a challenge, it's not for our failure, it's for our advancement. We've, uh, I know we, we mentioned this multiple times, I debated on whether or not I would go over it again, but I think I will because every time, I, th I think it's, it's a good thing for us to reinforce that God brings tests, He does not bring temptations. And there's a big difference between a test and a temptation. A temptation the purpose of it is to cause you to fail. The test is to provide you an opportunity to overcome. Right? One leads to destruction. The other leads to greater measures of God in you and His plans and purposes coming forward. So in James 1.13, James says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. And then 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has over, overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So here, God is actually a shield to those who are being tempted 
and saying, I have a shield. Will you stay behind the shield? Will you war with the shield? Or will you cast it off? Because I've given you what you need to be able to war and to overcome. Stay under my covering. Move according to my purposes and do not fall to the temptation because you can overcome and endure it. Now, we're talking about endurance. Endurance is vital. If you think about Abram's life and all the trials that he faced, here I'll make a, a I'll go through a brief list of them. I don't have them on the screen for you. And you, you won't have time to write them down. But he was called to leave his home and his family. He arrives in the land he's called to, and there's a famine, and he has to leave. He goes to a different land, and his wife is taken captive. Then his, he has quarrels with Lot, and they have to separate. His brother in or I guess his uh, son-in-law, is taken captive, and he has to go to war with these four kings who are no slouches. These four kings, when you read in Genesis 14 of who they defeated, they defeated the cities of the giants. That's big, right? And then Abram goes with his men and defeats four kings who had defeated giants. And subsequently to their defeating giants, defeated five other kings who came up against them. Do you know that the scripture says that he took his 318 men with him to go and fight the four kings. And on one hand, we can look at that and we can say, well, he took the 318 people who were students of his, who were part of his household, servants and, and such, and he went and he waged this war. And even that would be a great feat, a great miracle, because such a small number taking down these kings. But the sages look at it and they say, well, 318 what else does 318 mean? Well, there's, a, uh, there's something called gematria, which is where you take Hebrew letters and you put them together. They have different numerical values, and you can take all the Hebrew letters in a word and sum them up to get to a, a number. And that number can create a link with another word in Hebrew. Like, for example, Messiah and Nahash, snake and Messiah. Same numerical value. And that's a whole interesting story. Uh, but, okay, I have to, have to go back on track, okay, guys? I'm going off on a rabbit trail. But 318, what else does it mean? 318 is the numerical value as the name Eliezer. So Eliezer is 318. So now you question, well, did he take 318 men or did he take Eliezer with him to go and win the battle? Well, there was Jonathan and his armor bearer went to war. So it's not unheard of. But then there's the next thing. Let's take it a step further. Eliezer means God is my help. God is my help. So when Abraham went out to defeat these four kings, yes, he may have gone out with 318 men, 
Yes, he may have gone out with Eliezer. But ultimately, the victory came because God is his help. So God was with him, and he, and he brought him through that trial, through that challenge. So then he had the long wait for a son, the long wait for the promised seed. And then he takes Hagar as his concubine and has Ishmael. And then he has to send Ishmael out. And then there's the trial of circumcision. The exile, as I mentioned, of, of Ishmael. And then also, too, the binding of Isaac. And even in the, in the traditional stories of Abram on his way to, to the binding of Isaac, there are three trials that, that are said that he encountered along the way. All trials that were intended to turn him back and to prevent him from completing the mission that he was given. And when you look at the story of his life and all the challenges, all the difficulties, all the obstacles along the way, do you wonder, could he have stopped at any point? Could he have just said, well, this, this is too much. This is enough. I'm just going to sit down and have a peaceful life. On one hand, sometimes that sounds easier, but I don't know. It might actually be more difficult to pursue your plan as opposed to God's plan. To, to allow yourself to direct your steps as opposed to letting the Holy Spirit direct your steps. And that's a debate. That's a challenge, right? So every time we have a trial that comes before us, we have to say we have, we have a way to choose. It's not chosen for us, but it can be directed for us at the guidance of the Lord. You know, um, many years ago, as many years ago, I don't know, probably it was over 10 years ago, and I think I shared this last year, but I feel like I, I want to share it again because I feel like it's important. I had gone to Kansas City, and up there they have uh, a group that really moves in the prophetic. And I remember one of the people uh, talking to me about the journey that God had me on. And he said, the enemy will put up obstacles and a wall in front of you. And when you get to the wall, you could stop. And if you do, that's where the end would be. But the Lord wants to call you past that and through that onto more. There's a product that's being built, and it's your life, ministry, faith, and relationship with the Lord. God has a purpose, and the purpose is worth the wait and the trial and the struggle. And, and that, was, that was impactful to me because as you go and you wage war and you're on the journey, there are obstacles that are going to be put in the path, and you could quit. But the question is, what is God calling you to do? Is, has he blocked your path? Because if he's blocked your path, then you don't want to keep going past the wall. So we need discernment to say, well, Lord, is this wall you? Or is this a wall that I'm to walk over and pass through? 
And so we have to we have to seek, we have to pray, we have to ask for that vision, we have to ask that for that discernment so that we can walk in endurance and perseverance to lay hold of what he's put in front of us, even if there's bad circumstances. Now, Chelsea's not here today, but God willing, she'll hear the recording and she can rejoice that I have a movie quote. <laughs> so, in the Lord of the Rings, they have some epic quotes. And in the two towers, toward the end of it, there's a time when Frodo, he's on his quest, right? He's on this impossible quest to try to really save mankind. And he says, I can't do this, Sam. Sam's his trusted friend for any of you who are, have still not seen the movie. Speaking of which, if you haven't seen Woodlawn, you're wrong. <laughs> for everybody who's been around for a while, just know that I've encouraged people to watch Woodlawn for many years, and many people have not done it. I can't believe it. But anyway, Lord of the Rings, Two Towers. Frodo says, I can't do this, Sam. And Sam says, I know, it's all wrong. By rights, we shouldn't even be here. But we are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something. Even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I now know. Folks in those stories had lots of chances of turning back. Only they didn't. Because they were holding on to something. And Frodo asks, what were they holding on to, Sam? And Sam said that there's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. And when you think about this in terms of, of our lives, the path that we're walking, we in our story have lots of chances of turning back. But don't turn back. Because there's something worth fighting for. And that which we're holding on to is great. And that which we're holding on to is the hope of what's to come, of the promises and the inheritance, the foundation that we have in Yeshua, our Messiah. Even Abraham was living for something greater than himself, greater than his immediate family, greater than anything else. He was looking toward the new Jerusalem, the place of God's presence. Hebrews 11, 8 through 10 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. 
For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. You know, when we talk about this, it says that he went around living in tents. But he was looking for the city that had foundations whose designer and builder was God. Because he hadn't arrived at that point yet, he was content to live in tents. Living in tents is not necessarily the most comfortable way, right? When he came into the land, as we read earlier in Genesis 12, verses 4 through 9, I shall start in 5. The scripture says, And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. And at that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Why didn't he stop? Why did he keep journeying on? Especially because he says, God says, to your offspring, I'll give this land. And so he builds an altar there where God had appeared to him, giving him yet another vision. But then he moves on. Wouldn't that have been a place? It's like, look, you just said you're going to give us this land. I'm here. All right, this is where I'm, I'm camping. But he didn't. And I think the reason why is he was continuing to walk according to how God was directing his footsteps. Now, it's one thing that stood out to me in this passage was that in verse, four, in verse 5, it says that they went out. Okay, so I'm using, a tra- I'm using the translation of the Hebrew here. They went, they went out to go to the land of Canaan, and they came to the land of Canaan. So why doesn't the Scripture just say, and they went to the land of Canaan? Why does it say, and they went out, and they came? Because that's just not efficient, right? And there's no words wasted in the Torah. So they went out, and then, and they came. And then once they came to the land of Canaan, the scripture says, Abram passed through into Shechem. So he went farther in. But if you were to back up just a few verses to the end of last week's portion, and I don't think I have it in here, in Genesis 11, Verse 31. Actually, I'm in Exodus. Sorry. (laughs) That's not where I want to be. Not yet. We'll get there. But in Genesis 11, verse 31, Terah took his son Abram and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of Abram, his son, and they went out from Ur-Kazdim to go... And they... Okay. And they came to Haran, and they settled there. 
Okay, so the, the, Hebrew, the Hebrew phrasing for the entire passage of this is what Terah did, he went out and he came and they settled, is the same Hebrew phrasing, almost word for word, except for the people exchanged, with, and Abram went out and he came to the land and he passed into it. When they left ur the goal was Canaan, but they stopped in Haran. And so you ask, well, were they right to stop in Haran? Or should they have continued on? And the truth is, I don't know. I don't know. The thing is, Abram did not lose sight of the goal, even with the stop, right? If we went back to his timeline, we see that he stayed in Haran for three years and then moved on to the land of Canaan. But ultimately, God was going to call him forward from the place that he had stopped and bring him to the destination that God desired. Why do I bring that up? <clears throat> because we may make our plan, but the Lord directs our steps. The Lord directs our steps in such a way that his plan will be accomplished, even if the steps don't look like they're leading to the plan. There can be detours. There can be stops. Were the stops right? Were they good? Only time will tell. Lot went with Abram. That's one thing that stands out differently in the scriptures here too. God calls Abram to leave his home and his family. And so then Lot goes out, or Abram goes out, and the, the scripture is very specific. It says Abraham went and Lot went with him. And then later it affirms that. So the, the, those, the, the people who make commentary on this note that Lot's decision to go with Abram was, was Lot's decision, that Abram was not called to bring him. But Abram, was, Abram took him along with him as his brother-in-law. Fascinating, right? And then ultimately we see that God used it for good because even in the line of Messiah, there were those who came forth from Lot in bringing forth the promised seed. So it's, it's just fascinating to look at the stories and to say, what if along the way? But through it all, Abraham didn't take his eyes off God. He didn't forget the promise. He went through and he endured trial after trial, trusting God to be his provision and his shield and the one who would bring his word to fulfillment. And that's what we're called to do. So I want to go back and reread what we read earlier even with Yeshua in Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Yeshua, the founder and perfecter of our faith. You know, even that perfecter of our faith, the perfect example of our faith, the leader and the one who is the perfect example, whose footsteps we might follow in, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Right? There's the call to endurance, despite circumstances. There's the remembrance of the joy set before us. And look at the outcome of what Yeshua's actions and faithfulness were, that he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God, receiving the inheritance that he was promised, right? The fullness of which is to come when he rules and reigns. And that's the hope we look forward to, that he is our example both in how he lived and how he now lives as our intercessor for us. And then one who will bring to fulfillment that which has been promised. So we keep our eyes fixed on him. Seeking direction, seeking provision, and trusting that he'll reveal the particular matters when they're needed. That he'll bring about the steps that we're to take when we call on his name. And as we go through the trials and the difficulties, we can remember that they're for our good, that they're for our advancement, even when they don't feel good. And within it all, there's a product that's being built within us, within our community. It's our lives the family that we are, the faith, our relationship with the Lord. God has a purpose, and it's worth fighting for. It's worth the trial, and it's worth the struggle. So keep your eyes fixed on Him and walk faithfully, even believing when you don't see it in the physical. Because nothing is impossible with our God. Amen. Does anybody have anything that you wanted to share? So um, at 10.50, you started talking about Hazon and how there's a Shabbat Hazon. Not sure what that means, to be honest. Um, but at that time, there was a very overwhelming feeling, and I've felt it ever since I came in. Um, but at that particular time, the Lord says to you, prepare yourself and prepare the gates. For there comes a people who are seeking the way a devoted people. That's what the Lord said. And then I found that very interesting or just the way that he does things because you started talking about the importance of being bold and speaking what the Lord puts in our hearts. Um, and I've always had a hard time doing that. Um, but then you also spoke about how you went somewhere and and I was like, oh my gosh, okay, I'm going to say what you said. <laughs> so, yeah. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. Yes, ma'am. Good morning. Good morning. When we were singing the last song, I heard lightning on the right side, on top of the, the first sky. I'm sorry, you saw what? I heard oh. lightning. Oh, you heard lightning? Flame. Lightning and the right side. Hmm. Amen. The, the last it was 1037. 
when we were singing the last song, I don't know what that means, but I'm pretty sure God is in top of this temple. Take care of all of us. Because it's time to repent and be very close to God and pray every day. Like a, like a Daniel, he used to pray three times, or maybe more than three times a day. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Yes, uh, to hear a sound from heaven. May, may we hear God's revelation. <clears throat> Amen. I have some friends that are really into gematria, and uh, I have some other friends that say there's really nothing to it. How do you, how do you feel about that? <laughs> All right, let's go. No, so <clears throat> I... I uh, I find, okay, yeah, there's different, there's even different numberings, right, when it comes to gematria. So the one that is most standard, the one that I was speaking of with the 318 Eliezer, uh, I tend to find that there are relationships. Now, could they be coincidental? Potentially. Um, but there's also connections that I've seen in the scriptures that link two stories together that help explain the story to a greater degree. Um, even, even as I mentioned with the Nachash and Messiah, um, you know, there's a Nachash that's raised up on a pole in the wilderness, and those who look to, to that are healed, right? Well, that's a sign of Messiah being raised up as well. So then when you connect the gematria, of the Nachash and the Messiah, both being lifted up, and when you look to him, you're healed. That's a, you know, it could be a coincidental connection, but it seems a little too specific to be coincidental. So um, I may approach it with, uh, with care, but I'm not afraid to approach it, if that makes sense. So... Okay, Marilyn, one more, and then we, we need to wrap up after, after this. <clears throat> okay, so this is just a question. Um, as we were studying last night, my kids and I, um, one thing I noticed in Scripture, in this parasha, is that um, God prom promises Abraham or repeats his promise to Abraham three times. And then in the last time is when he, if I'm remembering correctly, um, changes his name, right? Um, but he reminds him when he, he's, when he calls him, right? And then in verse, so I was just wondering, and I don't know for what reason, when I think about that, I think about um, Peter. Mm. I don't know if that has any correlation, but I'm just thinking about the three times I don't know, but it just, that keeps resonating in my head, how God told them three times. Any thoughts on that? <clears throat> That's a really good question, and an interesting comparison there between uh, Yeshua speaking to Peter about loving him, right? And, um, you know, one of the things that I've often thought of with the repetition of the promise is because we need encouragement. As you're walking along the path, it's very easy to say, well, did God really say that? Or that was so long ago, does the promise still stand? Or did I miss it? 
Did I ruin it? I mean, come on, those questions have come through our minds, right? And, and so then, especially after you feel like you've ruined it and the promise comes back and you say, oh, great is your faithfulness. Um, so I've often thought of the repetition as being part of that and also a prompting to move forward and to endure. A lot of times prophetic words or dreams or things like that that, that come are intended to help us continue on the path. Um, and now then when this third time, as you mentioned, when he changes his name, um, is it because it's the third? You know, I, I don't know exactly. I know that God was moving to a greater de- degree to fulfill the promise. And I think it was at that, at that point, there's the name change, kind of like with uh, Jacob's name, being given the name Israel. Um, Simon Peter, right? Simon was given the name Peter. And so anyway, there's various, various aspects. Uh, so yeah, I don't, don't know if that was a, I don't even, was that even an answer? I don't know, but <laughs> all right. Praise God. Let's, let's, let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness. We thank you, Lord, that you, your faithfulness is great. We thank you, Lord, for the promises that you've given and your faithfulness to bring them to fruition. Thank you, Lord, that you have a plan and that you're directing our footsteps. Lord, we ask for vision, for revelation from you, Lord, that we would know what our steps are to take. Lord, we desire your will and we ask for your will to be realized in our lives, Lord, that the potential would become reality. Help us to hear your voice, to seek you, and to make time for you, to make a place of your dwelling in our hearts, in our homes, and in this community. Father, we bless you and we give you glory in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.